Welcome to the Real Life Investing Podcast with Jason and Rachel Wagner. We are husband and wife and dedicated to bring you conversations that revolve around real estate, entrepreneurship, personal development, relationships, politics, and just regular conversations that come across the dinner table. We will share with you actual stories of relatable people with hopes to inspire you to invest in becoming the best version of yourself. Thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Welcome to the first episode of Jason and Rachel. We don't know what we're calling it. We don't know what we're calling it. <laughs> All right, great. So Rachel, why do you want to do a podcast? Well, it was really your idea and I'm just kind of thinking, yeah, it could be pretty awesome. Uh, but we have a lot of in-depth conversations um, about where we've been, where we want to go, how we're going to get there, the change that we've seen over the last year, um, and we think that there's potentially some benefit to maybe other people who are seeking new exciting things in life to sharing our story. Um, and we've had great conversations with some of our really close friends on the same topics, and so we think that there could be some usefulness to that content. Yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like a lot of people are probably a little nervous to start a podcast, which is always um, as expected. But uh, the, I guess the idea here is that we'll just we'll just start. We'll see what we come up with. I think we'll have a lot of really great um, content for people to relate to and recognize with. And yeah, we'll see. So you talk about topics. What, what are a few topics that you're looking to dive into? Well, things that we have talked about have been 75 Hard, um, the mental toughness program that we both did um, this past year and will be completing um, later this fall for the Live Hard year. Um, that program has given us a lot, both as individuals and as a couple. Um, and so I think... Uh, there's a lot of um, story and, um, I don't know, success to share with, with that program. And we, we plan on following that program for many years to come. It's not just going to be a, a one-and-done kind of thing for us, but more of like a lifestyle change and um, doing the, the live hard thing. So that's one topic. Um, another topic has been um, doing a startup business. Um, entrepreneurship and impact on relationships and maybe in particular marriage the pros and cons and uh, you've always said you know best thing I did was, was get married because then I could quit my job <laughs> you love to tell people that so I think there's there's a lot of backstory to you know what the last what four six four to six years have been for us that maybe people don't necessarily know um, and yeah, I don't know, other business ideas that we bounce around, you know, like food trucks and other fun stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, we could talk about entrepreneurial things. Um, obviously I built a real estate firm that is, um, you know, very heavily in sales and investments and you're going to start being a part of that pretty heavily here, um, as we move forward. So, you know, there might be some topics on on real estate and probably will be actually because we lived through um, a house hack where we, you know, bought a multi-unit and like the process it took for me to convince you that that was a good idea and that we were going to live there <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with other with other tenants. I think that's a really good story just to to talk through and tell people our, our true experience there. 
Yeah, most people are trying to buy a, a single family home when they start a family, but we went and bought a multifamily, lived on the top floor, <laughs> and continued to grow our family yeah. <laughs> before that. So that that's yeah. a great topic. So maybe maybe that should be the first <laughs> episode content here. Maybe we talk about house hacking. House hacking, because I think that's very relevant to what. Uh, you know, I do now and I have a number of clients that are interested in the house hack and, um, you know, explaining. I, I've always actually said this to people is that there's a skill in terms of getting your spouse on board with becoming a real estate investor and not just a passive one, but an active one. And there's a lot of teaching that needs to, one, first occur in yourself, but two, how can you translate all of that to your spouse and get them on board? So I think there's a ton of skill that kind of goes into that. Um, and I could probably collect my thoughts a little bit better and, and make this a pretty good episode. Yeah. But we could talk about this. We can do a draft. We can do a draft. This is a draft. This is a draft. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so Rachel, when I first came to you, well, okay. So let's actually dial it all the way back. Today is our 12-year um, together anniversary mm -hmm. started dating 12 years ago which is crazy um, been through a lot and I always remember when I think it was shortly after I moved in with you after college you like immediately wanted to buy a house and you kept telling me you're like Jason we need to buy a house and we could either do it FHA or conventional I'm like what the F is that <laughs> you knew all these loan terms in which is so funny because I had no idea what that stuff was, but you had done your homework and you just knew in your head that, Hey, I know that it's really important for me to buy a house because the easiest thing that you always told me was when you're renting, you're not building any equity. And I was like, what the hell is equity? <laughs> <laughs> and but when you own a house you're actually putting uh you know a monthly payment towards uh towards that house and you do grow your equity which is your ownership in that property right so um so that's what equity is every month when you pay down the mortgage there is a portion that goes towards your equity which is actually your ownership in that house so anyways, Rachel brought that idea to me at a very... Uh, at 22. At 22. <laughs> and then fast forward a few years, at 26, I left my job to go be a real estate investor. And I didn't even know what equity was or any of that stuff was at 22, which is really funny. So, um, all right. So when I told you that I wanted to be a real estate investor and I said, Rachel, I think it's going to be a good idea if we were to not buy a house... Let's forget that. Not buy a condo either. Definitely not buy a condo. I want to buy a four unit. What was your initial reaction when I said, Rachel, let's go buy a multi-unit. We're going to live in one unit, rent out the other three. We can't afford, we can't afford it. Yeah. 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 Right, because I mean, a lot because of them are they priced. 700000 plus. Yeah. Um, and we owned nothing at the time. Mm -hmm. And we were pretty much living off of my salary at that time because you had already quit your job and we're doing some flips on the side. And that money was just regenerated into the business and not into take home. So I was like, how are we going to afford this on my, my modest salary? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think what. 
And I was like, well, Rachel, you just got to look at the numbers, right? You got to look at what you're actually going to be paying after, uh, you know, you account for the rents that you're going to be getting. And what was always funny to me is that whenever I first ran into this scenario, I was always very hesitant too at the same time because I'm like, well, what happens if I have zero tenants? Yeah. And that's what everybody always says, especially our parents is, you know, what happens if you can't rent it? Well, worst, worst case scenario, what happens if you have terrible tenants and they don't pay and... You know, you've got this huge mortgage payment that that's due. And the reality is, is that it's very rare that you're going to have zero tenants because everybody needs somewhere to live, right? There's not an overabundance of, of housing out there. There's a undersupply. We don't have enough housing out there. Well, and especially where we're at in Chicago, mm-hmm. um, vacancy rates are, what, 95%? Mm-hmm. Wow, look at you. <laughs> I did the Wagner Report this month. <laughs> that was quite the number to throw out there. That's awesome. Yeah, no, exactly. She's exactly right. You know, in Chicago, you got vacancy rates at 95%. So, so what does that actually mean? It's If you were to think about an occupancy perspective, a lot of people think about it this way a little easier. It's like, oh, only 5% of the time of the entire year, I'm not going to have somebody living in that property, right? So I think that's a big misconception initially for a lot of rookies is like, you know, the chances of you not having a tenant, especially if you're buying a multi-unit where there's two, three, or four units, right? So actually the large, your risk is larger when you only have one unit. So say you bought a single family home and you want to rent that out, you actually have a pretty large risk because what happens if you don't have somebody in there paying, you know, paying you rent? Well, then you truly are responsible for that entire mortgage payment versus if you were to buy a four unit and you've got three of the units that are helping support the building, uh, you know, if one is vacant. So there's there's a lot less risk when you buy a, a property like that. So anyways, so I, I think I tried to convince or detail this to you. Um, and you seem to be very welcoming of it. I'd say that one tactic that worked uh, in getting you on board also was when we would go on long road trips, we would listen to podcasts. And for some reason, I was just all dialed into the Bigger Pockets podcast and I was really loving everything that I was hearing about that stuff. And I said, Rachel, you want to just listen to this podcast with me? And I think that was honestly the the easiest way I could have convinced you because it's not me convincing you. It's these two guys that are pros <laughs> yeah. giving you all the information to make it all make sense. And then you and I just discussed it. And then we talked about the possibilities of doing it. And that was like, boom, you were, you were sold. Yeah. Listening to bigger pockets was effective. Um, and I think, you know, the the initial story you told about fresh out of college, me wanting to buy something and build equity, it as you're an analyst and you know how to, to, to analyze deals and put it to people in a way that's very understandable without having to dive into your spreadsheet. And so you were able to show me with numbers and charts that, you know, we'd be paying X percentage of our mortgage and our renters would be paying you know, the other three quarters of it or two thirds of it, depending on what kind of property we bought and how much faster we would be acquiring equity. Um, and that was attractive to me because that that is what I wanted. I had reached a point of not wanting to rent anymore and wanting to buy something. I was tired of throwing money away um, every month 
with the rent check. Um, so. All right, so then we found it and then we closed on it and we moved in. Uh-huh. <laughs> so great, we just executed, awesome. Now, what was it like being a landlord your first year? It was an adjustment. <laughs> it was an adjustment to be the on-call people for everybody in the building, right? Like we, we had been used to living with other people. We hadn't lived in a single family home at all together. We'd always lived in some type of apartment or condo type building. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that wasn't the adjustment. The adjustment was that now all of those people in that building were calling us or you specifically for blind repairs or, you know, um, any quarters for the, the washer and dryer or something mm -hmm. like that. And so getting used to that responsibility and response time and um, kind of keeping everybody in the building happy was an adjustment mm -hmm. for me, especially. Um, yeah. Um, I think it's always interesting that, especially for the live-in landlord, you know, you're going to come across your tenants on a daily basis and you have to talk to them. <laughs> like, that's kind of the thing. Uh, you know, you can't just uh, run by them. You, you have to address their concerns if they have any. Half the time they, you know, they want to tell you about something that's broken or just something that needs fixing. Yeah. Um, but then the other half the time, you know, you get to know them as a person, which is, which is great. Um, but also at the same token, you know, you as a landlord need to remember that you're not in it to to make friends. You know, you're doing this whole thing to make money. At the end of the day, this is financially beneficial for you to be living in a property that you own and you have three other tenants. Um, so I think there's a fine balance uh, that major that a lot of first time landlords are really going to have a big challenge with to start is, you know, making some big decisions when they see their tenants on a daily basis and they may really, really like them, right? Um, but there's gonna be a time that comes that is, hey, you know, we've gotta start thinking about the financial health of the building and um, where are the rents currently? Where's the market? Um, you know, are we implementing rent increases? Are we, um, you know, going to be investing in certain units um, that maybe benefit some and not the other? Type thing. So, I mean, you have a lot of these big decisions to make. And I think, uh, you know, just always remembering that you are the landlord, you are the boss, uh, if you were to think about it from that perspective. And so there's, there's, a, there's a delicate balance, I think. Um, what was your encounter with that? Yeah, I mean, that was actually something I struggled with. I'm glad you brought that up. Because um, I, I think, you know, I, I tend to be a little more of a private person. You're certainly a little more social than, than I am. So it was hard for me to know how to um, be social with our tenants um, and keep, keep um, you know, I've always been like a compartmental person where it's like, okay, these are my work friends. These are my social friends. These are my family friends. And I act and behave and communicate in a certain way within each of those compartments. Um, so for me to live in a building that I owned um, and was landlord to, but also neighbors to, it was hard for me to know like what, um, you know, what was too friendly or not friendly enough or, um, you know, what the line is. Because the reality is as you get to know your neighbors, you learn about um, their family, their kids, where they're working, how things are going. 
And, you know, shortly after we moved into this property, we closed on it in December, we moved in at the end of January, a month later, COVID started, you mm -hmm. know, and then two months later, the world was shutting down because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And so there was so much uncertainty happening with, um, no, the world, but then, you know, with our tenants and with ourselves, you know, we didn't know if our tenants were going to be able to pay. We didn't know if they were going to keep their jobs. We had one person who was completely out of work in the building. And um, so that's where, you know, the the relationship that you build with people really kind of starts to matter, mm -hmm. I think, because um, you know more about them personally. So there's an emotional side to how you handle those situations. But at the same time, there's our own financial well-being mm -hmm. as brand new owners and a new family. Because at the time we had a six month old and we were still just kind of trying to get on our feet with a lot of this real estate stuff. And so, you know, there's there's a balance between being reasonable and empathetic, but also um smart for your own well-being um so that was that was hard i think um we were very fortunate with um with our tenants and the relationships that we had built with them um we we weathered the the storm of covid just fine um so we're we're thankful and grateful for that but i mean it wasn't sunshines and rainbows though i mean <laughs> you're kind of painting a pretty 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 well, picture looking here back on it i feel like okay let's talk was... about let's talk about what actually happened um so shortly actually before covid hit we had a tenant that was in the garden unit that um basically after we bought the building we found out that there was a lot of turmoil between the garden unit tenant and the first floor tenant and the reason being that first floor tenant had children. This was a 1920s building. Uh, the floors really creaked. And when you're in the garden unit, um, it's pretty loud down there. And you can hear people walking around uh, right above you because the ceilings are short. And anybody listening who has kids, you understand what it's like. Because they run, they jump, they scream without much reason or notice yeah. and there's not a lot you and, can always you do to that and you cannot control them yeah, i mean you, you can do your react, best but you do your best but at the end of the day you can't stop them from running and so anyways <laughs> what uh, we quickly realized is that the garden unit tenants were not in a good unit um for the they did not have a tolerance anymore for all of this noise that was actually just like standard noise you know, if you were to live below a family. Um, and so anyways, what ended up happening was that the garden unit tenant quickly realized that this building was no longer a place um, that he could be happy in. And I recognize that too, after we tried a lot of things um, to try and quiet the noise where we even put like you know, sound pads, like uh, squishy pads on the floor in, in the first floor unit. Yeah, and, and they were really, that first floor tenants, they were being so accommodating to try and, and appease the, the people below them. They had foam mats that they were putting <clears throat> under their area rugs mm -hmm. and um, just to, know, try to try and, and absorb Yeah, the to noise. absorb the noise, especially yeah. down the main hallway. Um, but at the end of the day, that didn't work. And um, the lease was coming due and COVID had just hit. And as a landlord, typically I will renew leases, but there was an issue where, um, you know, the, 
the garden unit tenant made, you know, he raised his voice a number of times and he just made some threats in the building that just didn't, didn't feel good. And so I decided that he was not a good fit for the building. And so much so that the first floor tenants, you know, left. Um, right. They went and they, stayed with They didn't feel safe. They didn't feel safe time. around him, right? Yeah, he became a little unpredictable. And, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I would go and address the situation. And, you know, I felt like a therapist. Um, but at the end of the day, I realized this guy's not a good fit for the building. And so I'm not going to renew his lease. And so I gave him his uh, termination notice saying that I was I was terminating the lease at the end of the expiration date, right? So he made it to his full length, but I did not give him a renewal. And that did really kind of make him upset because I think he liked the rent price he was getting. Um, he liked the location. And, you know, he threatened that, you know, he threatened a lawsuit on me saying that, you know, I was uh, discriminating against him because of his ethnicity. And the reality is, is that you do not need a reason to terminate a lease. And landlords have that power. You don't have to justify it. You can just say, nope, I'm not renewing it. And, uh, you know, the guy knew at the end of the day why he wasn't getting a new lease. Is You know, if you're a jerk to your neighbors, it's not going to work out. Um, that's not a good building for you. It's not a good building for anybody. You want people to be happy where they live and um, and have good neighbors. And so anyways, I'm sure they're probably in a better in a better place now. Um, but anyways, after that, we got a great new tenant down in the basement unit and uh, that fit really, really well with the building. And now everything has been has been great since um, in terms of the noise levels and um, and whatnot, and at least the acceptability of those. So, so that was a quick challenge. Um, we had another challenge where our second floor tenant, she ended up passing away right when COVID hit. That was like in March or April, yeah. end of March. And um, that was a big like, holy cow, you know. The weird part about it was that that was the one unit that wasn't renovated. We always kind of had in our plans that like, okay, if, you know, if she were to ever move out, you know, that was going to be the unit that we were going to, to renovate and update. We had no idea that it was going to happen that quickly in terms of, yeah. you know, I, I'd never planned on a tenant, you know, passing away, um, you know, but maybe moving out where, you know, moving in with family or something uh, because she was, she was definitely elderly and, uh, but yeah, no, so that happened relatively quickly. And it was around the same time where this garden unit situation was going on. So we had a lot of things kind of hit us in the face, um, our first year. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, now the building's great. Right. So. Yeah, you're right. There were, there were a lot of things happening there. Yeah. Yeah. Upset, upset tenant, global pandemic and passing of a tenant. I guess that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Plus, uh, we had a six-month-old, and <laughs> yeah. And you know, I think we were we were lucky because none of our tenants were really impacted by COVID in terms of like they couldn't pay rent because there's so many people in the city where you know their tenants were not paying rent at all. Um, I will admit that I you know I was nervous when COVID hit because I had no idea what the tenant situation was. And so it was so easy for me to just click the button on the on the website for the mortgage and say, "Hey, I want to I want to halt payments," and I just did it as a precaution. 
Um, so we didn't make a mortgage payment on it for probably like four months. And, and again, not in a reason that we, we couldn't make the payment is because I was just nervous on what could happen. And if we, right. So if we boosted the reserve a little bit, um, you know, for the unexpected, that was going to help. Um, at the end of the day, I ended up becoming current on that. And I, and I paid, you know, I, I made up the mortgage and I ended up paying it all back relatively quickly within, I don't know, maybe six months. Um, and so, I mean, that was an interesting component that happened. Like, you know, again, like when has there ever been a time where you didn't have to pay your mortgage? <laughs> so, um, but anyways, that's, that's definitely not now. And with the new renovated <clears throat> unit of unit two, we were able to up rents and, and increase. Yeah, exactly. And that was kind of the whole strategy was that we had a building that was, when we bought it, was 75% renovated. We just had one unit to go and it just so happened that that one became vacant relatively quickly. And then, you know, we put money into renovating that and now it, it um, boosted the rents big time and uh, we got quality tenants in there. We actually, a great strategy for, um, you know, helping your rents increase is, is not just renovating, but uh, in Chicago, you've got, you know, dining rooms that are often never really utilized. And so if a dining room is big enough, you can convert it into a third bedroom. And if you've got a nice, you know, decent sized living space, um, you know, that third bedroom instead of the dining room is a great value add. And so that's what we ended up doing was taking out the dining room, converting it into a third bedroom. Um, on average, that was probably about 200, maybe $300 in the rent difference. Um, and so that's, that was a, that was a really good tactic that we ended up doing. And so now we, We've got all of our units that are basically three bedrooms except the um, except the garden unit. Yeah. <clears throat> so, anyways, um, so we lived there for what? Maybe a little over a year, year and a half ish, yep, and then and half, moved we out. Now we've got now we've got a single family home. And um, what's it like being a landlord <laughs> now, Rach? <laughs> After your first year. Um. I, yeah, now it's great. <laughs> now, it's, yeah, it's easy for you because yeah, you're not you're not really involved. I, I mean, I take the bulk of of all that stuff. And yeah, it's it's certainly um, more manageable being as close as we are. You know, we're only four or five blocks away from that property, so I mean, there is something that goes wrong, or even just to mow the lawn, it's it's a quick quick drive or walk over there for you to. Mm -hmm to do it. So that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I think being, um, residents in the area, when you talk about the area to potential, um, renters, you know, you give a lot of experience because we live here too. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that brings up a good point because basically you just said, you know, investing locally is a great way to, uh, really get a feel for the market and your neighborhood and, um, that is the nice thing that we've actually done is that we've chosen Jefferson Park, Porridge Park as our kind of our hub and that's where we live. And, um, you know, we've got what, seven units that are within walking distance of one another. And it, it keeps it easy because, you know, we still have our day jobs and, you know, and, you know, you're involved in so many other things and this is just, this is something you're doing on the side. So you don't want it to take up too much time by travel back and forth, especially if you're managing your own properties and such. 
um, in which I say any first time investor should manage their own properties just so they get the experience and they understand the day to day and um, you know, some of the calls that you might get. So, but we've never, honestly, we've never really had, you know, I think a lot of people have a fear of, uh, well, what happens when a tenant calls me at two in the morning? Well, if you're sleeping then, you know, you'll address it when you wake up at 7 a.m. or eight o'clock. I mean, it's, you know, the reality is, is that you don't get these uh, midnight calls like everybody assumes that you do. Um, I guess there could be a fear of like a, a pipe bursting in the wintertime in Chicago and you kind of maybe recognize those days and like you kind of, you know, you get a little prepared for those. Um, but yeah, no, you never, I, I mean, we've had a pipe burst in one, in at Claremont one time we had a pipe burst. Oh yeah. And you know, again, it's like, it wasn't, it's not like the tenants are not capable, you know, they can, they can turn off the water and they they've figured that out before. And then, you know, if you've got to get an emergency plumber out there, there's, there's people that are ready to go, uh, to help address the situation. And like, it's going to be expensive, but that's what happens. But I mean, I can only think of maybe one time when that's ever happened. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's not a lot of these midnight calls. I mean, I, I think I rarely ever had one. So, Okay. Well, cool. Well, I think that probably wraps up our first episode. First draft episode. <laughs> oh, no. I think, yeah. You know, hopefully, I think we provided some, some value there. So, um, Rachel, uh, how do you want to sign off on this? I mean, are there some questions that we should ask each other or some, some things that we should uh, focus on? Would you house hack again? Oh, that's a great one. Um, yeah, absolutely. I would, I would totally house hack again. I think it's, I think it's, it, it makes it difficult now because we have two kids and, um, you know, I think if we were to house hack, we'd probably need a three to maybe four bedroom home. Or a duplex down. Yeah, a duplex down type thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I totally think that we could do it because again, the house hack is such a great strategy just to get yourself ahead. And, uh, you know, you live there for a year and then that's it. Yeah. And that's the point I don't think that we made well enough early on here is that that was a key selling point for you to me of we only have to live there a year. It's only a year. you know. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's such a small <laughs> sacrifice for a huge long term gain. Yeah. That why wouldn't you do it yeah. if you can think about it as there is an end date? Yeah. And we followed through on that end date. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, rhetorically asking myself that question, would I house hack again? It, it's certainly not something that I am saying I want to do, given that we've got a 3,000 square foot home and we're really settling in with our family. But knowing in the back of my mind it's only a one-year commitment, if we found the right kind of property, I could get on board. Yeah. Because uh, it is. It's a short period of time. Put some of your stuff in storage and then... You walk away in a year to somewhere else and you've got two to four more units under your belt that are generating passively. Right. And it just gets you a little bit further along. I mean, you know, it doesn't get you rich, but it certainly helps. And, uh, you know, I think that's what it's all about is just kind of making life a little bit easier. Not always being reliant on your job, because especially as we go into a recessionary period here, like... You know, job layoffs are going to happen and people all of a sudden wake up, they go to work and they come home because they just got laid off. You know, that's scary for anybody. Um, but I think... stuck in a job that they don't yeah. want to be in because of that. Well, that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And so to have additional income 
um, that's coming in through investment properties where it's like, you know, it doesn't take up that much of your time. I think this is a, this is a strategy that a lot of people should really take advantage of and, um, and get under their belts. So, all right, cool. All right. Well, that will wrap. Thanks all. We'll catch you later. (laughs) All right. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Real Life Investing Podcast. We hope that you walk away from this episode with something of value, whether you learned something new, felt inspired, or it helped spur a new idea. We are all in this game of life together, and sometimes all it takes is hearing the stories and strategies of others that are out there doing it to help inspire you to take action towards becoming the best version of yourself. Thanks for listening. Please share the show and we'll catch you on the next episode.